Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. And we are back with uh, some more some more fast zombie goodness. Yes, but we're not joining you 28 weeks later. We're joining you seven days later to That's talk right. about 28 weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> we don't wait that long. We have a shorter shelf life. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're continuing our conversation from last week's episode on 28 Days Later with, like you said, 28 Weeks Later, which is a 2007 post-apocalyptic horror film directed by Juan Carlos Fresnadillo, who co-wrote it with Rowan Jaffe, Enrique Lopez Levine, and Jesus Olmo. It's the sequel to the 2002 film 28 Days Later. It stars Robert Carlyle, Rose Byrne, Jeremy Renner, Harold Perrineau, Catherine McCormick, Macintosh Muggleton. <laughs> 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 Imogene Poots and Idris Elba. The music for the film was composed by John Murphy. <laughs> you added that in, didn't you? This is his actual name. <laughs> is it really? Yes. <laughs> oh my god, we're laughing already. It's my new Harry Potter character. <laughs> Macintosh Muggleton? <laughs> That's what I'm going to name my next puppy. <laughs> Macintosh Muggleton. <laughs> Get over here right now. No, my child. Anyway. Then your memoir can just be Mac and me. <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. 28 Weeks Later is set after the events of the first film. <gasps> really? Shocking. Depicting the efforts of NATO military forces to salvage a safe zone in London. The consequences of two young siblings breaking protocol to find a photograph of their mother. And the resulting reintroduction of the rage virus into the safe zone. Fucking kids. The international success of its predecessor influenced its creators, director Danny Boyle, producer Andrew McDonald, and screenwriter Alex Garland, to make a sequel four years following its release. McDonald stated, We were quite taken aback by the phenomenal success of the first film, particularly in America. We saw an opportunity to make a second film that already had a built-in audience. We thought it would be a great idea and try to satisfy that audience again. Okay, listeners. Step one. Kill the infected. Step two, containment. If containment fails, step three, extermination. This is 28 Weeks Later.
During the original outbreak of the rage virus, Don, played by Robert Carlyle, his wife Alice, played by Catherine McCormick, and four more survivors hide in a barricaded cottage on the outskirts of London. They hear a terrified little boy pounding at their door, and Don stupidly lets him in at Alice's urging. They feed the stupid little crotch fruit who informs them of the increasingly dire situation outside. <laughs> crotch fruit! <laughs> A few minutes later, they discover that the infected have followed the boy, who they now notice is wearing an oversized neon shirt with the word FORESHADOWING printed on it. <laughs> the infected attack and kill most of the survivors while Don, Alice, and the boy are chased upstairs. Don pleads with Alice to leave the boy as he is not their failed abortion, but she refuses. He abandons them by escaping out of the window. After watching his wife being dragged out of sight by the infected, he narrowly escapes on a boat, with the pilot, Jacob, being pulled into the water. Quint, Brody, and Hooper set out on Quint's boat, the Orca, to escape the zombies. <laughs> the lines tied to the stern cleats, but the zombies drag the boat backwards, swamping the deck and flooding the engine compartment. Quint, Quint, Quint prepares to sever the line to prevent the transom from being pulled out, but the cleats break off, keeping the barrels attached to the zombies. <laughs> They're all killed, but Don somehow makes it alive. <laughs> oh my god, you'll never let me forget it. <laughs> As the infected begin to die of starvation, NATO forces take control of Britain 28 weeks after the outbreak. An American force under the command of Brigadier General Stone, played by Idris Elba, brings in settlers. Among the new arrivals are Don and Alice's fuck trophies. <laughs> Tammy, played by Imogene Poots, and Andy, played by Macintosh Muggleton. <laughs> of the country during the outbreak on sabbatical they are admitted to district one a safe zone on the isle of dogs where they are reunited with their father who is now the district's caretaker in their new flat don tearfully tells his kids he saw their mother die before he escaped that night andy dreams about forgetting his mother's face so tammy and andy sneak out of the safe zone even though they were expressly and specifically forbidden to do so and return to their former home, where they collect family photographs and mementos, like individual unpaired shoes. <laughs> Andy finds his mother Alice alive and seemingly uninfected in a semi-conscious delirious state. The three are soon discovered by soldiers and taken back to District 1. Alice is taken to a quarantine room where she is tested and found to be an asymptomatic carrier of the rage virus. Don hearing the news that his twat goblins <laughs> escaped the safe zone and found his wife makes an unauthorized visit to Alice in her isolation cell, since not even one soul is guarding the single infected person in the entire fucking safe zone, and begs her to forgive him. <laughs> she accepts his apology and tells him that she loves him, prompting him to kiss her, unaware she is infected. Don begins to transform and mauls her to death. He then goes on a murderous rampage, spreading the virus. General Stone orders the building to be quarantined and orders a code red alert in District 1. Civilians are herded into safe rooms while the soldiers search for infected. Scarlet, played by Rose Byrne, a U.S. Army medical officer, rescues the wallet-draining turd machines, Tammy and Andy. <laughs> aware, aware that the children might hold the key to a cure because of their genetic makeup and must be protected. They hide in a safe room full of people. Don breaks into the room full of people and starts a domino effect of rapid infection. The crowd, with half its members infected, breaks out of the safe room and into the streets. The U.S. soldiers initially are ordered to only shoot the infected, but due to not knowing who is infected or not, they are told to just shoot everyone. One of the snipers, Sergeant Doyle, played by Jeremy Renner, unable to continue complying with the order due to his reluctance to fire on the stupid child that caused all this to begin with, abandons his post and escapes with Scarlet, Tammy, Andy, and a survivor named Sam, and head for the Greenwich Foot Tunnel. Having lost control, Stone orders District 1 to be firebombed. Despite this, large numbers of the infected escape the bombardment. The next day, Doyle's pilot friend Flynn, played by Harold Pirineau, arrives by helicopter to pick up Doyle but refuses to take anyone else as they would be shot down. A desperate Sam attempts to leap onto the helicopter, causing the helicopter to partially lose control, killing Sam and turning a crowd of zombies into chunky salsa. 
Flynn contacts Doyle by radio and tells him to leave the civilians and head to Wembley Stadium. Doyle ignores his instructions and escorts Andy, Tammy, and Scarlett to Wembley. They break into an abandoned car to escape nerve gas released to kill the infected, but are unable to start the car while soldiers with flamethrowers draw near. Doyle exits the car and sacrifices himself by push-starting the car and is promptly burned alive by the soldiers for his trouble. Scarlet and the kids escape into the darkness of the London Underground, where the trio continues on foot, traipsing over corpses as they go. In the process, Zombie Don randomly ambushes and kills Scarlet, then bites his loinfruit Andy. (laughs) Loinfruit. So many new words for children in this. Tammy arrives, and Don... Getting another flashback to his wife's face when he abandoned her, charges at Tammy and gets shot to death. Andy, who is still alive, gets up and runs away, thinking he will become infected. After Tammy chases him down, she realizes that he is an asymptomatic carrier as well. They continue to the stadium and are picked up by a reluctant Flynn, who flies them across the English Channel to France. 28 days later... A French-accented voice requesting help is heard from the radio in Flynn's abandoned helicopter. A group of the infected run through a tunnel and emerge at the Paris Metro Trocadero station, with a view across the Seine to the nearby Eiffel Tower, indicating that the virus has spread to continental Europe. They must have children here, too. (laughs) The... End. <laughs> what the fuck was it? Twat zero. <laughs> Twat goblin. Twat goblin. Oh my fucking god, that was hilarious. <laughs> I like crotch fruit. <laughs> crotch fruit. So, 28 Weeks Later was released on May 11th, 2007 on more than 2,300 screens. It grossed almost 10 million opening weekends, securing the number two spot at the box office. It would remain in the top 10 for the next four weeks before sharply falling. Other movies in the top 10 that weekend included Spider-Man 3, Disturbia, and Hot Fuzz. Ultimately, the film would gross 28 million domestically with a global total of more than 65 million against a budget of 15 almost twice the budget of the original 28 million domestically and it's called 28 weeks later what (laughs) 28 weeks later holds a 72 percent on rotten tomatoes with an audience score at 66 percent the site's consensus reads while 28 weeks later lacks the humanism that made 28 days later a classic it's made up with fantastic atmosphere and punchy direction on metacritic the film scored an average of 78 indicating generally favorable reviews View London called the film an, quote, exciting, action-packed, and superbly directed thriller that more than lives up to the original film, end quote. The New York Times' A.O. Scott remarked that it is brutal and almost exhaustingly terrifying as any respectable zombie movie should be. It is also bracingly smart, both in its ideas and in its techniques. Derek Ellie, for Variety, more sober, called it a full-bore zombie romp that more than delivers the genre goods. Maybe less sober. I don't know. Bracingly smart. (laughs) Rex Reed of The Observer wrote, There isn't much acting here, but there is entirely too much vomiting. And the prose turns laughably purple, too. (laughs) There is entirely too much vomiting. (laughs) There are no accolades for this movie, although at the British Independent Film Awards it was nominated for Most Promising Newcomer, Imogene Poots, and Best Technical Achievement. At the Golden Schmoes. Again, it was nominated for Best Horror Movie, Best Sci-Fi Movie, and Biggest Surprise. But it won nothing. It won nothing. It wasn't even nominated for a Saturn Award. Reports of a third film in the series are still threatening. (laughs) In January of 2015, Alex Garland said, quote, We've just started talking about it seriously. We've got an idea. Danny Boyle and producer Andrew McDonald and I have been having quite serious conversations about it, so it's a possibility. It's complicated. There's a whole bunch of reasons why it's complicated, which are boring, so I won't go into it. But there is a possibility, he said, adding, It's more likely to be that 28 months than 28 years. 28 months gives you one more place to go, hinting at the possibility of a fourth film as well. Stop it! <laughs> In 2019, Boyle confirmed that he and Garland had met to discuss and begin prep for the third film. And by 2021, both Imogene Poots and Killian Murphy both expressed interest in reprising their roles. 
Mr. Chance. Yes. That's what I say. It's done now. Yeah. Speaking of Miss Chances, Robert Carlyle <laughs> is in this movie. What a segue. <laughs> but accurate. Uh, <laughs> as the dad, as the doting father. Yeah, and as the doting, vomiting mother, Catherine McCormick, as Alice. Now, I had forgotten about Catherine McCormick. Uh, I remember her from Braveheart. And then she was also in Shadow of the Vampire. Uh, I always thought she should have had a bigger career. And, you know, she just looks so different here. Yeah, well, first of all, she doesn't have much to do either, but I've only seen the first half of Braveheart. So, I know, one day I need to get stoned and watch it. But I that was when I was a kid, so I don't I don't even recognize this actress actress by name, really. Yeah, and then we got Macintosh Mugglebones or whatever as Andy. <laughs> and Imogene Poots, who I didn't realize was Imogene Poots as Tammy, the the other the daughter. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't realize it was her. Hmm. I like Imogene Poots. I mean, yeah. she looks, she hasn't changed much. You know? Well, I mean, her except for her eyes are twice as big as she's so much younger here. Yes, her eyes are much larger. And then Rose Byrne, who I always love. And you could just have a whole movie just of Rose Byrne doing like laundry and I'd watch it probably. Rose Byrne. I mean, she is in a lot of genre movies, a lot of horror movies, right? She always plays like a scared mom. Yeah. And I wish she had, I wish she'd been given the chance or she would take roles where like she gets to shine a little bit more. Like my favorite movie with her outside of like the obvious like sunshine and stuff, you know, is probably Spy. Uh, It's a comedy film. Actually, action comedy. Is that the one that has like Melissa McCarthy in it? Yes. Yeah, I have it. It's fucking it. hilarious. Is it? I need to watch that too. Shit. Um, I Why like you like a hoary dolphin trainer. <laughs> <laughs> You're out of context. That's funny. Sign me up. <laughs> um, I really like Rose Byrne, like Insidious, right? And she's one of the the few things in the Poltergeist remake that I like, you know. But it's always good to see Rose Byrne. She's she's good. She's a nice, quiet actress who who gets the job done and is always, always good. Just love those bedroom eyes. Mm. Then we got uh, Jeremy Renner, who I don't ever want to be caught in a bedroom with. Well, now that he's had that run in with a snowmobile or whatever the fuck it was, you may not have the chance anyway. Oh, my God. Let's not go there. <laughs> he's healing. Let's take that offline. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I'm going to open my beer for that. <laughs> And then we've got, this is a stacked cast. I mean, we've mentioned that before, but uh, Harold Perrineau uh, as Flynn, the helicopter pilot. Now, this is an actor who's been everywhere. You mm-hmm. know, he was on Lost. He was in Romeo uh, plus Juliet. Love that. I love he was him. on Oz. Yep. Like, he's been everywhere. He's always great, even in the smallest of roles. And he he plays a lot of small roles, but he's he memorable. Like, he's so good as Mercutio in Romeo plus oh Juliet. Just, like, shines in that movie like no other. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and he's he's noticeable, like, right away, both his face and by voice, right? So he's flying that helicopter. I forgot he was in this movie. And I was like, oh, Mercutio. My yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as we saw him, of course, because we watched this together, I was like, there will be a pox on one of these people's houses. <laughs> a <laughs> pox enough, on both y'all safe zones. There was a pox on all the, the entire safe zone. <laughs> a pox on all over London. And then Idris Elba. Random round out that stacked cast. And I feel like he's playing the exact same performance that he does in Prometheus in this. Or like, Pacific Rim. Or Pacific Rim. So he just like, he's always playing some stern military commander. I think that's the face that he can make. It's yeah. his best face. He's the same character basically in every movie. Every he's always movie. fun. Yeah, but I like him. And I think he's attractive. So. Yeah, but it's Heimdall, I think, in the Thor movies. What? Mar- MCU. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I need to see that third one too. I've only seen the clips of the goats. Yeah, that's all you need. I mean, <laughs> this entire episode is going to be talking about movies that I need to see that are not 28 <laughs> weeks later. <laughs> talking about how this movie was made, Danny Boyle wanted to direct it, but couldn't due to his previous commitment to Sunshine. Thank God. Jesus. Uh, but stayed on as executive producer, although you can't really tell. Although it does share the same DNA. Like it does feel like a sequel. Parts of it, yeah. So 28 weeks later. I would say that. Or days later, whatever. Um, so he did hire, he is responsible for hiring this this filmmaker, um, Resident Dio, believing he would be able to bring a fresh new perspective to the movie. And another reason he picked him was because he really, he was a huge fan of Resident Dio's uh, 2001 film, Intacto, which I've never seen. I've never heard of it. So before Resident Dio took over, he was on a five-year hiatus from filmmaking, working on TV commercials. So he was handpicked. By Boyle. Yeah. Okay. I mean, 
I'd like to say that I trust Danny Boyle and his choices, you know, but I don't know. I feel like <clears throat> I feel like if Boyle really wanted this movie to be successful, he could have just waited a little bit until after Sunshine was done. I feel like we're like obviously we're they can probably tell that we didn't enjoy this movie very much at and, this point. Yeah. And I feel like we're kind of in a minority because I'm seeing like the critical reception was pretty high, not as high as the first. I'm seeing like videos on YouTube when I was looking up trailers and music and things like that. And it's like, which one's better, 28 days later or 28 weeks later? And I'm just like, is that a question? Really? Yeah. Someone posed that question. And people like tend to like this movie. And I, you know, it's interesting. I will say that like until until we watched it last night, um, I remember liking it fondly. I liked it better than I did this watch. Like I liked 28 Days Later more and I liked this one less. I kind of remember liking 28 Weeks Later more than 28 Days Later, right? And I was having a conversation about this with someone today. And I was just like, because we had previously had a conversation about how we liked that movie. And I was looking forward to watching it because I'd only seen it the one time. And I was Mm -hmm. like, I remember really, really liking it. And I remember at the time singing the theater and thinking I liked it a lot more than 28 Days Later. Hmm. And on this watch, I'm like, why? What in the fuck did 27-year-old Robert, what was he thinking? You know? Yeah. And maybe it's a movie for younger folks or people, certainly people maybe that are breeders, you know, people that have children. (laughs) You know, we'll get into a little bit of that later because obviously we're fresh out of empathy over here. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of our listeners are parents. And so it'd be interesting to see if we have a really opposite opinion of this movie than they do. Yes. I mean, I obviously would love to hear that. And maybe that's why people like this movie so much is that there's a little bit more of a, a well, there's a child in 28 days later. Well, too. they did that by design. And a lot of this feels like design, you know, mm-hmm. like audience manipulation a little bit to me at least. And Fresendio felt like the plot involving, you know, the original script by Rowan Joff, Joffe, Rowan Joffe's original script was underdeveloped. So they decided to rewrite it with collaborators Enrique Lopez Levine and Jesus Olmo. And although Fresendio and Lopez Levine were unimpressed with the initial draft, they found its concept of the family trying to start over after the first outbreak, you know, a redeemable aspect, deciding to retain it in the rewritten version. And rewriting took almost a year, with Alex Garland only making an additional input on the script as like a final pass, like, you know, checking their math, so to speak, I guess. Mm-hmm. I I mean, if it took a whole year to rewrite that movie, I feel like I feel like they must have been taking a lot of breaks. Doing something else. I don't know. Spending money. Because they're on per diem at that point, I think, probably. Oh, well, then I'm sure it would have taken a very long time if I were on a per diem. But like, I don't know. Um, or a contract. I feel like I feel like the script in this movie and the is is bad. Like th- there's an okay story there. Like the story's not terrible. I'm okay with the the basic idea of it. Yeah. But like the dialogue the, in the prose, you know, is just like terrible, terrible, terrible. I thought the dialogue was just awful. I remember a specific moment, like they're getting off the train and going to meet their dad. Literally both kids were like, I'm excited. Yeah. Like, Me too. I'm excited. And I'm like, who wrote this? The writers from the Brady fucking bunch? <laughs> it's just like, it's just not good. And you have such a stacked cast, right? People that we have seen in movies since then. And at the time this came out way before. And we know that some of these are good actors, you know, and when they're given this kind of material, then some of them might be ESL. I mean, and that's true. You know, I mean, it's like it's like listening to like Shakira's music in English. You know what I mean? Like in Spanish, it makes perfect sense. But in English, it sounds kind of weird or whatnot, but it doesn't make it any less poetic and good. This, on the other hand, doesn't feel that way to me. Yeah. But I don't know. So Boyle had said back in 2005 that the sequel would feature a new cast because previous cast members like Killian Murphy, Megan Burns, and Naomi Harris were occupied with their own projects. So I believe like it was being written, at least originally, the story with them kind of starting as a new family having been rescued, right? And so it was kind of changed and then done in every which way to make us feel empathy for the cheerin. Yeah, and that just doesn't work. No. I mean, because the children are like the instigators and everything that happens. Children of the future, Robert. (laughs) Teach them well and lead them into the infected. The children are the end in this movie, actually. (laughs) (laughs) We're sorry to all the parents. (laughs) Well, 
we're going to get into that too a lot more. But first, I kind of want to talk about the style a little bit because that's the first thing that I, I don't like about it. Yeah. Because it has this close-up shaky cam that's reminiscent of all the other action thrillers of that time, such as Transformers that had come out by Michael Bay, also released in 2007, where a lot of audience people were getting sick and dizzy, at least in the theaters, yep. when it's part of your periphery too, where they're zooming in but also doing the shaky cam. And all of this seems to have been evolved having lived through this. Uh, from Saving Private Ryan, who were the first to really do the shaky cinema verite. But at least Spielberg knows how to frame a fucking shot. True. These people are like, oh, we can't go wrong and we can get away with a lot more like 28 Days Later did with the with the crappy camera. You know, but they're actually using 35 millimeter here and still just making it look like shit because they don't know how to choose their lenses with the shaky cam. And it it I think audiences majorly kind of at the time. Like we're we're doing this because it was new. It was a new way to watch movies. Um, I, I literally looked up when Transformers was released, and it was the same year. And so it all kind of tracks, yeah, because this was just the way you did action back then. Now they've started <clears throat> to zoom out more. We've seen people use shaky cam a lot more uh, conservatively, and now they're relying a little bit more on like frame rates, although they did back then too. And then cutting, like cutting frames to make action beats hit faster versus zooming in really fast on something. I mean, I agree with you. I feel like I remember back in 2007, all this time, <clears throat> that a lot of action movies, even a lot of horror movies, were shot that way. It was just being copied and copied and copied all over the place. And it does. It made me feel a little sick. I can't I can't remember the last time that I was like actually sick in a the theater, except for like maybe Blair Witch or something like that. Like it made me visibly ill. Yeah, but, from like 1999 <clears throat> to 2007. Yeah. That was like the worst time for that sort of filmmaking. That's what you got. I mean, like we're watching like the Dawn of the Dead remake, the exact same thing, right? Like just shakes all the fuck over it. It's just not good. And the entirety of the opening of this movie feels like that's the way it's shot. And then they start to use it a little bit more sporadically, I very feel. Very sporadically. It's very inconsistent. Like yeah. they're using the cinema verite style very inconsistently, even more inconsistently than the first one. And it gives me a feeling of style over substance in a lot of places. The movie works best when it seems to take on more of a cinematic point of view, like when they're firebombing or yes. doing the sniping scenes, mm-hmm. because they're able to like show you what's happening and where they are and where the characters are. There's just some establishment there. So their aerial photography is obviously something they excelled at. And, you know, uh, doing the wider shots, but anything kind of closer up, the editing is bad and the shots they picked are bad. Like in my opinion, this is all subjective, but it's, it's interesting to look at cause I got, I got validation looking at some of the other movies that came out around this time mm-hmm. and it seems to line up. Yeah, no, it totally tracks. It does. And you're right. I feel like the movie looks the best when it is like sort of those aerial sweeping shots, right? That firebomb scene looks amazing. There's some parts of it that are, are still like kind of hokey because of the the effects that are, are, are dated, right? But mm-hmm. it's still, it's there's moments in this movie that are peak cinema. Yeah. And those are the moments that are filmed well. <laughs> That's true. I also, I do really enjoy the scene in the the safe room where that domino effect zombie infection is happening. Which I right? remembered horribly wrong from the end of the last episode. I was talking to you about it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, you can see on the screen all these red dots showing up. And I don't know if that's a deleted scene, if I made that up in my brain, if it's from a different movie. But I remember that totally different because they turn the lights out on those people stupidly. For the audience, not for the actual real world, you know, groundedness or anything. Right. And then you kind of imagine how fast it's spreading. And maybe that's what I had imagined and remembered it as. But that's like the weirdness of memory, I guess. That's true. But that happens in movies. I mean, when's the last time you watched this movie? I probably watched it once before. Yeah. I saw this movie in 2007 and never watched it again, you know, even though I remember liking it a lot you know, when it came out. So, I mean, like oftentimes you'll just forget what happens or like, you'll look back on something and just remember it a different way. That happens a lot. I just remember looking at those trailers and like the best thing out of it was discovering a B roll amuse song that they were using in the trailers at the time, which I loved so much. And then thinking, I'm not going to watch this movie because I didn't like the first one very much. So I think I rented it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I, I liked 28 days later when I was, when I saw it for the first time, I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. You know, I, I like it much better now. Yeah, but same. Um, I was excited to see this movie when it came out still. And um, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. But th- that scene in the safe room is really, really effective, even though you can't see a whole lot and it's moving really fast. But 
I mean, it's really good and it's very scary. This movie has some scary moments in it. It could have been filmed so much better. They could have put a fucking strobe in there. Yes. And you slowly start to see the people kind of piling up World War Z style coming towards you. Like it could have been like the first where he's running at the beginning of this movie mm-hmm. where he's running away from the cabin towards the boat. That would have been an excellent one and an excellent use of a one because one are sometimes overused. And by a one if anyone doesn't understand, it's one single interrupted, unedited shot mm-hmm. of him running. And you could have, you saw the zombies running over the hills towards him. That would have been an excellent one And before it comes out of view, you see the wife being pulled out from the window. And instead, it's going like up his nostril with the camera, then a yeah. huge aerial zoom out, and then up his nostril again. And it's like, stop it. Learn how to make a fucking movie. <laughs> I mean, it's just a little off-putting. And then later on in the movie, when they use it, it feels like the camera sort of like attached to the back of whatever infected person is running. Yeah. Right? And because you see like the side of their head, the back of their head, it's shaking. You can't really tell what's going on. And like... It adds to the frenetic feeling, but yes. it's, you're giving the point of view to a zombie instead of your humans. That's right. And you can't even see the humans at that point. You have no idea where the, the characters that you're supposed to be feeling something for have gone. But I think that's part of the problem with this movie as well, is that out of all the characters in this movie, I don't really give a shit about any of them. I kind of care for Rose Byrne's character because she's trying to do the right thing. Regardless of whether it feeds into her empathy for the children or not, it doesn't matter because they're important scientifically. Yeah. Right. Because their mother was somehow immune and they might be somehow immune as well. And that could make a vaccine. Right. So I get that. I'm rooting for her. She's trying to do it. Right. And so and I'm also rooting a little bit for the the soldier who's trying to like get them the fuck out of there and who sacrifices himself. But only to a certain extent because of all the choices they make. Yes. Right. And that feeds us into our discussion on tone and themes. Good. Okay, let's right. get into this. Uh, so the idiocy of these characters in this movie makes me feel less empathy for them because the actions, the motivations, and the reactions of them seem to serve the story and the plot versus their own actual grounded humanity. I completely agree because I feel like these characters all start off a certain way, right? And by the end of the movie, they are not making the choices that I thought that they would be making based on the character that I think they are. But there's no real arc to them either. And I feel like the reason that is because there's so many different characters in this movie, as opposed to 28 Days Later, where we have a very, very small group of characters that we are given time to grow to care for. And everything's super, super grounded, except for that stupid eyeball shot. Right. But even even the, the, the aftermath of that eyeball shot... I feel bad for that character. I didn't want that character to die. Yes. You know? Yeah. And so there's so many characters in this and so many actors that I respect and whatnot, but I just don't give a shit half, halfway through the movie. I'm like, I really just want the movie to be over with. And I don't know if it's because of the choices that they make or because this movie feels like it has about 15 different climaxes in it. Yeah. Like the action ramps up so much in this movie that I thought it was about to end several times. I'm like, Oh, is this the end of the movie already? Mm-hmm. Cause it feels like the end of the movie. And then no, it was just another fucking climax leading up to another climax. Yeah. Silly. And there's points where I lose empathy. Like when they open the door to that child, which again, huge disconnect from like parents watching this maybe, Yeah, you know, but this, if you've lived through 28 days later, maybe that's why we dislike this because we, we watched 28 days later, like so recently we've been through it with those characters and we know what these people have been through mm-hmm. having watched that movie so recently. And so this kid comes knocking and banging at the door, you know, he's running from something. Right. Yeah. And like they let him in. And of course that's the, that's their end as well. And then let's see the kids escape. And go out into the parts unknown where there's disease everything around fucking London. The soldier sees them, could have shot in front of them or like got on a fucking air horn or something to stop them. But no, I'm going to see where they're going. You know, then they bring the bitch back and they put her in quarantine. No one's watching her, even though she's the only infected thing, the side of the safe zone. Uh huh. You know, and then. Just choice after choice after choice is just stupid. That serves the plot to move it forward versus what they would actually be doing in reality, you know? And so to me, again and again, it's on the children, right? It's like it's over-reliant on an audience's built-in empathy for children to excuse some of these story elements and plot points. I mean, that that's also correct because like watching it last night, I was just like, what the fuck is, why, why are these kids doing this and how come no one is stopping I was them? angry at those kids by the end. I was like, you know how many thousands of people are dead because you were stupid? Yeah. Because you wanted your fucking shoe? 
one shoe, not even a <laughs> pair of shoes. Didn't we comment on that when we were watching yes. it too? Like, why are she taking that so one shoe? Yeah. This is so stupid. And the thing is, is that there's only two kids in the entire safe zone. Only two. They put they hang a lantern on that a little bit, but they don't ever pick it up again. Like, why? Why haven't they been taking kids? Is there any reason? And yeah. You they, know, they don't discuss it. Is it for a medical issue? I mean, like, yeah. I don't, the doctor is the most concerned. Yeah. She was like, we don't know how it is affecting kids. But like, why? What was the policy for not having kids? Like, I don't understand. But even though, I mean, you feel like if two kids came into the safe zone, the only two kids in the entire place, wouldn't they have been guarded a little bit better? Yeah. You know, I mean, like, again, I just like went to work the next day. Yeah. He's like, well, bye. After not seeing them for months, like you didn't get any fucking leave or something. I don't know. And they just get up and leave and they walk across the fucking bridge, like on the side of the bridge across the Thames or whatever. And I'm like, none of this, none of this is believable to me. It's just stupid. There's so many soldiers and they, they're not going to stop these children. They're going to wait. And I'm wondering if it's because they wanted to do the themes and you know it was just a mashup of all these different script ideas that just came together and didn't really quite work because i'm wondering as a british and spanish production if this is their take on the american war on philosophy like ending in disaster our war on drugs or war on terror things like that because this is post 9 11 yeah certainly when all the post 9 11 stuff was like at its peak oh yeah you know and so a lot of people were talking about that in in genre film you know, and genre TV like Battlestar was at its peak around 2007, I believe. Well, and I, this is where movies like Hostel and stuff come into play. Well, Hostel's a little before this, you know, but um, I mean, I feel like a lot of horror movies made at that time period were an answer to 9-11, like just deep down. And we've talked about that on the podcast before. We've talked about movies from this time period. This one seems a little bit on the nose with that to me a little with that maybe i don't know they didn't really have a a moral take on it or stance on it no one's talking about it or saying the talking about the consequences or having a problem with it on screen or in the story it's just what happens right and then also they go to a great deal of trouble to show us the surveillance state of that safe zone with everyone on their like when they're setting up the safe zone and establishing what it is, mm-hmm. they're showing us all the little like closed caption TVs, security yep. cameras and everything. And they're doing a great deal of work to show that. And I'm wondering if that was their post 9-11 view on trading security for freedom. Right. I mean, that's true, because even if we weren't seeing like those those CCTVs, we were at least like a lot of the shots were like from the POV from a sniper's viewfinder right or scope whatever the hell it's called right so we get to see a lot of that shit too so clearly they're talking about trading security for freedom but i think you said something earlier and i i agree with you i think that's where this movie fails is that 28 days later has a lot of like talking and um, exploring of emotions and thoughts and dealing with pandemics and stuff like this and this one has almost none of it you said it's action right it just serves the action and the plot that's what this entire movie is it's just things happening all through it with pieces of dialogue thrown in and I don't know. I've, I've said this before on the podcast I will continue to like die on this hill if, if there I have to have at least one character that I like and that I feel something for yeah. otherwise the entire story fails it's supposed to be the kids it's supposed so to be. anyone that can manage to get empathy for these children, uh, any of the children in this movie, which are three, you know, then because the boy at the beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, then maybe you'll enjoy this movie a lot more than we did. I couldn't. Yeah. And I don't I don't even think it's like that. I think that's a big part of it. But I just I just don't feel like this movie was very well made. You know what I mean? I just, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't enjoy myself. We haven't even gotten to our ratings yet, but clearly you guys can tell, but you're right. You said earlier that people like this movie and I feel like people do. I feel like people would be ready for a third movie in this series. And I, at this point, I'm like, no, I'd rather y'all not. Well, if Alex Garland and Danny Boyle come back in the original cast, I might be interested to see. Yeah, I mean, if, if they did something right with it and it was it was the the great creative people behind it, then yes, probably. But I also feel like now that I've seen these two movies back to back, the reason I liked this so much maybe is because there's a, a like a a space of time between watching 28 Days Later and tw- watching 28 Weeks Later, yeah. right? So I had some time to build anticipation and whatnot. And of course, I would have liked it with that that space. But we just watched a very very good movie, and then the next week watched. A not so good movie, right? And the same kind of series. And I think that colors it too. Like it's obviously not 28 days later and it may not be nearly as bad as we experienced last night, 
But like, if we're sitting here comparing the two movies in just a week's time, like one is just far superior than the other. Yeah. Who knows? So yeah. Be interested to see what our listeners have to say about this. Everyone's going to come for us and be like, 28 weeks later is a fucking awesome movie. Watch them back to back. Like we did. That's right. Yeah. Like do a double feature and see if you agree then maybe you have some fun facts. I do. Are they fun or they went Grinch? Yeah, neither. Okay, they're there. They're meth facts. <laughs> do you have any meth facts for me? I do. <laughs> so when Danny Boyle, Alex Garland, and Andrew McDonald first began to consider a sequel to 28 Days Later, their initial idea was to do 29 Days Later, oh. possibly using the characters of, you know, Jem, Selena, and Hannah from the first movie. And the idea was dropped in favor of doing a film set within the time frame of 28 weeks later, focusing on an SAS team sent to London to retrieve either the Prime Minister or the Queen. Finally, it was suggested to set the the film sometime after the events of the initial film and to deal with the impact uh, Rage Virus has had on society in general. I mean, that already sounds like a better movie. (laughs) Save the Queen. (laughs) God save the Queen. Oh, my God. I would pay to watch that movie, actually. That sounds amazing. (laughs) So it's stated on a DVD extras that all of the actors who are playing infected people come from a movement background. They have a history in dance, gymnastics, circus, or mime. They also followed workshops to learn more about the infection and they were, uh, and what they were supposed to do. So they were training all these people. They they only hired them from those movement backgrounds. Okay, I mean it makes sense. I guess. Which is what Danny Boyle didn't do, didn't he? Just like pay them in tea. All and... they need to do is be able to fucking run. I That's mean... true. They don't have to like run like a gazelle. They don't have to be graceful about it. So like just leaping through London. <laughs> I mean, the whole point was that we couldn't tell the normies from the zombies in that sniping scene. And that's where you needed them to do the most running in groups, right? So it's just true. I feel like they were pirouetting. You'd be like, there's one. (laughs) (laughs) This one's miming. (laughs) Shoot the mime. (laughs) But he's not infected. I said, shoot the mime. (laughs) Here, here. So the boy who arrives at the cottage at the beginning of the film claims to be from Sandford. Sandford is the name of the fake village that was used by British police to to practice emergency preparedness drills. It's also the fictitious locale for the action comedy Hot Fuzz released in the same year. Wow. Sandford had a big year in 2007. It did. I haven't seen Hot Fuzz. It's good. Is it? Yeah. I hear it is. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. According to director Juan Carlos Fresnadillo, composer John Murphy had only two weeks to compose the entire score of the movie, which is probably why it feels like a copy and paste. It certainly does, because I thought it was just the same thing. This is an original score? (laughs) I I thought, like, several times, like, did they just, like, lift this in? I mean, it sounds exactly like it, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, my God. They used the main theme the entire movie, though. They did. Versus a slow build to it, like, 28 days later. Because, oh, you know what? That's so true. Uh, Because I even talked about in the last episode that I don't really, I don't notice scores that often. 28 days later, you notice because it just moves and it fits every scene so well. And this movie is just that basic theme over and over again. And it doesn't move or crescendo or do anything to help the action. It crescendos every fucking time. So crescendos of the firebomb is crescendoing when he's running from the zombies, the beginning of the movie. Yeah. You know why? Because this movie is all crescendo. It is all climax. (laughs) It is just constant. Constant orgasm over and over again and yet unfulfilling. (laughs) (laughs) So the last scene of the frantic handheld camera in Paris was a last minute idea from Fresnadillo, which it feels like, and was shot on digital camera with 12 extras running around it in early morning next to the Eiffel Tower. The audio was immediately sent to be mixed and it was edited right before the cutoff date before the theatrical distribution happened. (laughs) Yep. It sure was. It's been a year to write it. <laughs> it's been a year to write it. Two seconds to film the ending. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. They're like, here's a handful of zombies coming from the channel or whatever the fuck was Trucadero. <laughs> How'd they get there? He just wanted to go to Paris huh? with his director money. Well, I don't know. I mean, I would. He'd be like, you know what we need to do? Let's go spend three days in Paris and shoot 20 like seconds of something. And we'll just like write it off. Who doesn't want to go to Paris, though? Oh, God. I love the Trocadero Metro Station. <laughs> <laughs> well, those were those were fun, actually. They weren't meh. An American zombie in Paris. <laughs> <gasps> Let's film it. Let's go. Just to go to Paris. Bring 12 extras. <laughs> I'm not graceful, though. We have to find someone with a movement background. <laughs> um, 
Well, we have some questions to ask about 28 weeks later, uh, like we do about every movie we cover on the Foam Flamers. And we're going to skip the first one because obviously this is a horror movie. There's very little acting, but there is a lot of vomiting. Mm. So horror movie it is. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah. Were you scared while watching this movie? No. Scared for my soul. <laughs> like <laughs> I was tense a couple of times. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like that scene in the safe room is is really tense. But I mean, I feel like this movie sort of ramps up the gore more than 28 Days Later does. There's some human drama in this where they're the moment where they have to shoot everyone. You yeah, know, and have to start making those decisions, and you just see it's just a a really human terror moment versus horror. I think for some of those snipers, yeah. I mean, obviously for Jeremy Renner's character, I mean, just seeing the whole scene. Oh, like it's like a kind of a Schindler's List moment. You know? Yes. What I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but there's more than one moment in this movie where the same zombie like gouges out an eyeball. You know, like the, the he Don goes straight for the eyes, like every time or whatever. Yeah, because they're trying to double down that it's supposed to be the rage virus, and they still know how to use fucking door keys and shit like that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Oh, that was another thing I was confused about. How do you get movie. in? Yeah, was like he got in, but then how did he get back out? Like, if they're zombies or are they not zombies? Do they know how to use doors and shit? I mean, obviously they kind of do, I guess. Um, you know, and then later on you see like some of them were like blown in half and they're still like crawling on the ground like they're zombies and not actually like infected people. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, okay. You need to make up your mind. Like should I get off the pot? Please. I mean, that's it. That that's it. Maybe that's what it was. I needed to smoke some pot before I watched this movie. Yeah, we were decidedly sober, and I think that would have made all the difference in the world. But I also don't like that. I there are some zombie movies where they have like one centralized zombie antagonist, right? And I'm okay with it. I don't really like it in this movie at all. No, it doesn't make I any sense. I actually don't like that. I don't like Ever? that at all. I, I mean, like King Caveman stuff. I I mean, like I hated that in Zack Snyder's newest bullshit. Oh yeah, that's stupid. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, I guess the only movie that I really like that is there's only one zombie in it for most of the movie. So I guess it makes sense that that would be the antagonist, but. And this one, it doesn't make any sense to me that the dad is like constantly showing up and following them. You know what I mean? It's it's just dumb. Yeah. And again, it's just there to like serve the plot and like serve the characters in some way. But it makes zero fucking sense to me. Like every time you turn around, there's the dad. Like, and the rest of the rage zombies aren't fast enough to get there, but he fucking is. I mean, I don't know. It's just stupid. Yeah. Out of five stars, though, speaking of stupid, what would you give 28 weeks later? I gave it a two and a half stars and normally I would have given it less, but it did have some of those peak moments of cinema. So it got like a half star, or even a full star higher. But this is a two and a half star for me. Pretty low. Same, same. And I going into this movie, I was expecting to like it. And I feel like when I had seen this in 2007, I could have rated this three, three and a half, maybe even like four stars. I remember liking it a lot. And just at this one, I just couldn't, I could not rate it any higher than two and a half. I think you made a joke last night. Cause I, I got up and I was like, well, that was dumb. And you're like, as you rated three stars. And I was like, no, it's not. I can't, I can't give it three stars. <laughs> and I never, I hardly ever go lower than three stars when I rate a movie. And this movie was just not good. Just wasn't. But there was something about the way that like the credits ended or whatever, and I made the best joke of the night. <laughs> what did you say? Deek. Deek. <laughs> That's right. I had more fun <laughs> with that fucking joke and the flood of nostalgia that I got from it than I did watching that hour and a half long shit movie. I was just like, God. Deke. <laughs> Does anyone remember that? Watching TV shows back in like the late 90s or whatever. Yeah. And there's like a last title card and we go, Deke. Deke. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's so funny. Um, yeah. I just didn't care for this movie. At least not on this watch. And it, for whatever reason, I mean, I could watch it again in a couple years, although I really don't want to. And it could change. But for right now, two and a half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So finally, and some might say most importantly, who's the hottest guy in 28 weeks later? Rose Byrne. Rose Byrne. Out of the sausage fest that is this movie, it's Rose Byrne. (laughs) She's kind of mad. She's such a presence. 
<laughs> Although, if I had to pick a guy, it would be Idris Elba. It has to always be Idris Elba. Always. He's, he's so good looking and stern. He's so stern looking. I'm like, I kind of want him to like fucking chastise me a little bit. Maybe spank me. <laughs> I don't know. I, I also, I kind of like Jeremy Renner. He looks, he looks like an idiot, but, but he's okay. He's aight. No comment. I know. I know. He don't care for him. It's okay. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I watched that stupid movie that I'm still angry at. Hurt Locker. <laughs> I like Hurt Locker. <laughs> Everyone does. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I like a really good movie, Chris. Everyone loves that movie. <laughs> Just give it 10 years and we'll all hate it. I think that just about wraps up our conversation on 28 Weeks Later, thankfully, and uh, and our content on the main feed this month. But we do have some bonus content coming out for you over on Patreon.com slash TheFilmFlamers. We have a poll put up with other fast zombie movies. So if you want to take advantage and make your voice be heard, head over there and join the family. Right. I think like uh, World War Z is on there. Uh, Dead Snow. Mm-hmm. What else? The Girl with All the Gifts. And I am legend. And there's another one too, Cargo. Cargo, which I've never even heard of. Yeah, but those are fast zombie movies, apparently. So there they are. Go vote. Go vote. Join the Patreon family. Also, we like reviews, and we like to read them on Shooting the Flames. So head over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, leave us a five star review, and why you like us, and we're going to read that on the next Shooting the Flames. You can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com, or you can call us at nine seven two. Six six six. You deep. Seven seven. Three three. Nothing's gonna beat my twenty-eight inches joke from last time. I know. Mmm. <laughs> Code red. I need 28 inches. Code red. Mmm. D. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't want to leave a voicemail, and that's silly, find us on social media, at the Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Well, Chris, I think it's time for us to, um, I don't don't know, not watch this movie again. (laughs) Make like a fast zombie and die. (laughs) Make like a fast zombie and run away from this film. And have some sweet sweet dreams. Deek. That's the word of the day. Or what I asked you to get that filth out of my house. (laughs) Take your trash with you. (laughs) He was talking about the movie. (laughs) 